Ghostly Thistle presents The Antique Shop Episode 19 The Dangers of the Heart You remember that silence I used to love in the shop? The one I fervently wished would return? Turns out it's no so great after all. It's like when you're a bairn, afraid of the dark, so you get a nightlight. Mine had crescent moons and stars rotating on a screen so they'd dance across the ceiling and walls warped and stretched when they'd have to navigate over other furniture. You remind your ma and da every time they tuck you in to leave it on. And they do. But when you wake up in the morning, somehow it's aff. As you get older, you realise being scared of the dark is fae bairns. And you're Noah bairn. You're going to be eight this year. Your da goes to switch it on. And you tell him you didn't need it. You're no longer afraid of the dark and the monsters that lurk there. He obliges. But when that door is shut and the light pollution of the town isn't enough to illuminate all of the shadows, you find yourself leaning over and flicking that switch. Sighing with relief when you see the stars and moons glide across the room. Telling Reed to go was the same. I thought I'd be fine. No afraid of the beasts in the dark. Except the difference is, no matter how hard I scramble round, I'm never going to find that switch because the nightlight is gone. I thought I'd like the silence, but I like it about as much as I liked the dark. Didn't get me wrong, I like Finn and Kronos. But sometimes, the days when Finn is near in the shop, when Kronos is up the stairs with a madam, the shop feels uncomfortably big. And I find myself no able to move round the antiques with as much ease as I'm used to. If something happens to me, if I touch something dangerous, then there's no one to find me, no one to help. By the time the madam comes down, it might be too late. But I'm no here to gripe about my woes. No exclusively. This particular day it was Finn and Marcel in the shop. I could only assume Kronos was upstairs because I hadn't seen him all day. Finn and I had been spending most of our time staring at a floral brooch that had appeared on the counter. Neither of us had taken it out or found it anywhere. A customer hadn't donated it or returned it. There it was when I'd arrived. It had also been there when Finn had arrived an hour or two earlier. And that had been our morning. Discussion what to do with it and daring each other to touch it. Madame Norna found us both at the counter, a few metres away from this thing. Both keeping our eyes on it, like an arachnophobe does with the giant spider in the corner of their bedroom. Seeing the madam come down to the shop, unprovoked and unsummoned, 
set dread simmering away in my gut. Finn obviously felt the same kind of surprise as he asked her if anything was wrong. I inspected her, the way she walked towards us. Steady, almost normal. The way her lips were closed, definitely normal. And the level look she gave to Finn at his question. Whatever it was, obviously wasn't urgent. Carefully, she placed a small piece of white paper on the glass counter, just beside the possibly sinister brooch. The madam said she was fine, but that a pally hers might no be, and she wanted me to go to her house and check. The address was on the piece of paper. Careful note to touch the brooch, I picked the paper up and examined the address, feeling like I knew it, or knew of it. It had been in the news, or someone had told me about the street. Some celebrity had bought one of the hussies on this street. Best party a million quid, apparently. They were old hussies, built in the bustle of the Industrial Revolution by the people who'd benefited the most. A few hundred years later, and they were still occupied by the rich and morally questionable. It wasn't that far from the shop, a ten-minute bus ride at the most. I folded the paper up and slid it into my pocket. Finn, in a softer tony voice than his usual, offered to come with me. I stared at him, eyes narrowed and lips beginning to purse with suspicion. He'd never offer to come on a trip outside the shop. Not once. And I, that could be because Reed always did. But that didn't mean I always had to have a babysitter. Looking back with hindsight, I may have been overly sensitive to the offer. Finn was trying to be nice, to keep me company. And I just threw it back in his face like some crabbit bairn. I informed him I could go myself and that I didn't need a carer. The most embarrassing thing was that after my curt answer, the madam and he exchanged parental looks of concern before they both nodded. No believing a word I'd said, but deciding they needed to let me make my own pig-headed mistakes. I left for the bus stop, regretting my words and despising myself that I was so sensitive. The part of town I alighted at was like another world, let alone the other side of the same place. This was lavish suburbia. There were trees lining the road, and every house was detached, sporting long driveways and double garages to fit their Bentleys and Porsches. The windows were large, shining as much daylight as possible into the high-ceilinged rooms with frescoes and carvings, and even a chandelier in one. Aye, I had a nosy into the windies, that's what they're for. I continued to walk along the cleaner-than-clean pavement, no a piece of litter in sight, reading the numbers of the hussies to try and find the one I was looking for. I eventually found it near the end, smaller than the others on the same row, but still beyond your average person's mortgage amount. The large slabbed pathway leading up to the door was spotless, the grass at the edges trimmed to ruler perfection. Someone had green fingers, as the front garden was properly kept, 
bushes, shrubbery and flower beds well tended to. I eventually arrived at the door and searched for a bell, only to find none. Then I noticed the antique door knocker nailed to the navy blue paint of the door. I didn't know how that wasn't the first thing I noticed. It was a large bulbous bee, complete way markings on the wings and body. Its heed was the hinge of the knocker, so in some respects it was pretty heedless. Hesitantly, I reached out, grabbed its arse and used it as intended, hearing the faded brass as it connected with the wood. I waited, checked my phone for the time, looked at the empty street with only a few cars passing by and waited some more. There was no answer, so I used the knocker again, more forcefully this time. Still, no one came to the door. After one last quick glance at my surroundings, at the street, at the neighbours' hooses, I crouched down, flicked the letterbox open and squinted inside. I couldn't see that much and I saw even less when I felt the letterbox move away from me as the door swung open. I barely managed to catch myself before I fell forwards with it and sprawled into this person's hallway. The strange thing was that there was no one behind the door. It had swung into an empty corridor. Realising how bad this was starting to look and regretting acting like such a brat when Finn had offered to come along, I checked one more time for witnesses before I bundled inside of the house and shut the door closed behind me. It was only when I heard the click of the door that I began to realise I'd just entered someone's house without their permission. There could be anybody in here. Anything could have happened to the occupant and I'd just charged in like an eejit. One of these days, I'll need to start thinking about consequences. With my back against the door, I scanned the hallway, past the pairs of shoes under the coat rail, the colourful welcome rug and to the doorways ahead. All were closed, save for one, and I began to creep towards it. Peering round the door, I found a living room, the walls painted way sea green and lined with family photos and the odd painting. Furniture all pointed at the giant telly mounted on the wall. It was the hang lying in the middle of the room, on yet another rug that concerned me. I could only see their feet at first, poking out from behind the sofa. And as I took a few more paces into the room, I began to see the rest of their body. She looked to be in her fifties, greying hair fanned out round her head like a halo. I bolted across the room, landing hard on my knees beside her to feel for a pulse. I didn't think I've ever felt that much relief when I felt the steady beat of her heart beneath my fingertips. It was short-lived and replaced by a pit in my stomach as my eyes were drawn to an object that lay close to her hand. Under any other circumstances, it'd be a perfectly normal thing to find in someone's house. It wouldn't even be unusual to see it fall into the floor. But there was nothing normal about this vase. 
I used to get similar feelings in clubs sometimes. I'd spot a bloke lingering at the bar of the club, like a hawk waiting for a field mouse to drop onto, eyeing up whichever lassie would be the easiest prey. Staring at this vase gave me the same feeling. A nauseating concoction of revulsion and fear of what was going to happen next. This vase wasn't your granny's crystal one she keeps her roses in. It was made up of different coloured pieces of glass, grotesquely stuck together with no pattern or order. Some were clear, others a sea blue, and some an alarming blood red. It wasn't that big, no enough to hold an entire bouquet, and it was lying on its side beside the woman's arm. I knew I shouldn't touch it. I always know, but I always seemed to do the opposite. I only placed a few fingers on the smooth glass, feeling the grooves they where each coloured uneven tile met another. The only thing I can liken it to is when you're trying to go to sleep and your mind reminds you of that stupid thing you said or did five years ago. You didn't know where this memory came from, what brought it back. But there you are, reliving this humiliation, squirming under the wish that you'd done or said something different. It didn't show me a memory though. I think I would have preferred that. There was a dark-haired bairn sitting at a wooden table, bent over a bowl with cereal in it, the milk jug just within reach. He spooned food and milk into his mouth, white liquid dribbling down his chin where he missed. There was something familiar about this bairn, no like I'd seen him before, like he reminded me of someone. No long after, a person came in, faceless. I didn't mean in a scary way. I mean, they had a face, it's just that I couldn't quite see it. To be honest, I wasn't even sure what this person was. They were a genderless figure, with no detail that stood out. They approached the bairn and patted him on the heed gently, before bending down and wiping the milk residue off the bairn's chin. I looked on with bemusement. Everything became clear when a person I recognised strode in. A wee bit older, with a marriage gut poking through his shirt, but a bright smile on his usually grumpy features. Reed, an older version, had come into the room, plate a toast in his hand, and sat down at the table before kissing the faceless figure on the cheek. This was a family breakfast. They all sat round the table, eating and talking, and I was the unwelcome fly on the wall. This was Reed's happy life, the one I'd been keeping him for. The picture suddenly changed to a familiar sight. I stood amongst the antiques of the shop, beside the record players, railsy dusty clothes and a sewing machine or two. At the glass counter was another familiar face, but then equally unfamiliar because I'd never seen this person before. It was me, a version of me, older, 
I didn't know by how much, but I wasn't going grey yet. There was no one else in the shop, no even Kronos, and the silence was hard to bear. The look I could see in my eyes as I scanned round the shop, the emptiness, the sharp stab of loneliness as I realised that's how it'd always be, made me turn away. There was Reed, content, happy with his family, settled into his happy life. And this empty shop was all I had for the rest of my long life. I felt this burning at the back of my throat, like I drank too much bucky and was now about to expel it. Before I could start retching, I was thrown out of these thoughts and back into my current reality, crouched beside an unconscious woman in vicious vase. I recoiled my hand for the coloured glass and felt pain as I did so. On inspecting my hand, I found small blisters on my fingertips where I'd made contact with its surface. Like I'd taken a tray out of the oven without an oven glove on. I skipped past sad for a change and went straight to anger. How dare that fucking hing show me such shite? How dare dare a wee glass vase try to get cheeky with me. I was so bloody sick of no being able to touch anything without it wanting to break me that I stood up and as hard as I could kicked the vase into the wall and watched with vicious satisfaction as it shattered into pieces, jangling as they hit the floor. Just to make my point, I marched over to a green shard that hadn't quite broken so well and drove my foot into it. There's nothing quite as cathartic as the soundy crunching glass. I began to hear a low mumble and a few groans coming for the woman. By the time I rushed across the room to her, she was trying to pick herself up off the floor. I helped her to her feet but she was in no condition to stand, so I ended up helping her sit on the sofa. I took a few steps back, letting her senses catch up, but when my foot tapped something glass, I froze. I slid my eyes down to the floor, and there the damn vase was, as though I'd never kicked it against the wall and watched as it exploded into pieces. I jumped as high as a cat after it seen a cucumber. I couldn't get away from the damn hen quick enough. The woman's voice drew me out of my horror as she told me that I'd saved her life before asking if the madam had sent me. I inspected this person whom my boss had tasked me with checking on and I could see her face clearly. No blurry lines or unfocused spots. She was human. So how did she know about the madam? Noticing my confused face, know that it's hard to miss, she chuckled lightly and explained that she was a friend of my bosses, although suggested that she was perhaps more like a passing acquaintance. She went on to inform me that she was a collector and should have known better than to touch the vase. Obviously, I asked her what a collector was in this context, 
and she confirmed my suspicions. There are crazy people who actually collect the items in the antique shop. The cursed rings, enchanted boxes and hellish vases. It was hard no to look at her like she belonged in an asylum. I spent some time with this pally Madame Nornas, whose name was Flora, just to make sure she was fit enough to be left. Before I went, she told me to take the vase with me, as the madam requested items like that be kept in the shop and no in private collections. I told her what had happened, how it was indestructible, but she had no answers. All I could think was that my breaking it, even for a few moments, must have snapped her out of whatever it had done to her, mental torture or something else. The madam would have all of the answers. Flora gave me a towel or three to wrap it up in, as both of us agreed touching it was out of the question. And after putting it in my bag, I returned to the shop where my boss and Finn were waiting by the counter. After a quick greeting, I lifted my bag onto the counter and announced that the madam's friend had sent a gift. Carefully unzipping my bag, I took a few steps back once the towels were exposed. I could tell by the way Madame Norna gazed at the vase that she knew exactly what it did. And Finn, noticing her reaction and mine, joined me in putting some distance between him and it. Carefully, as if it was some kind of holy relic, the Madame removed the vase ensuring to never make contact with a coloured glass. I didn't need to ask questions aloud anymore for my boss to answer them. She informed me that the vase was enchanted to show people their worst nightmares, reaching into the corners of their minds and taking advantage of their deepest fears and insecurities. For normal humans, it rarely let them go pulling them into a cycle of torment they couldn't hope to escape. For creatures, or a madam's apprentice, it took longer to take hold. That hadn't stopped it for trying. I informed her about my breaking it, and she said that it couldn't be broken by conventional means. The only solution was to store it in the shop, confirming my fears that the shop was just a storage space for the world's most dangerous items. As soon as the madam left to go upstairs with vase in hand, a strange atmosphere settled in the shop, and it was coming for Finn. There was an unusual shadow of seriousness settled on his face, and this began to unsettle me almost as much as the vase had. Eventually, he mustered up the courage to speak and announced that he had something to ask me. I really hate when someone tells you they're going to say something, especially when they act like it's world-ending. Just fucking say it and stop trying to give me an aneurysm. He told me he'd noticed how depressed I'd been since Reed left, and although he knew I'd never admit it, scared. He pointed out that he was in the shop all of the time, almost as much as Reed had been. And the truth was that he loved the shop, loved being a part of the world it occupied. There was nowhere else in the world like it, he looked. 
so, why didn't he become my familiar? I probably let this silence go on for too long. I'd never seen Finn look so sheepish. I needed to hink. Did I need a familiar? Did I want one? Reed had kinda come out of nowhere. I hadn't known what that kinda bond would entail. In the end, I'd needed him more than he'd ever needed me. I knew that he was gone. I was struggling. Finn was offering. This wasn't a way out of some problems or a deal made blindly. We both knew what we were getting into. He was right. Finn was practically always in the shop. By choice. I also thought to the day's events. What if that vase hadn't let me go? Or I hadn't fought my way out and been lying unconscious on the floor like Flora until someone found me? As much as I hated it, I needed a guide. I checked with Finn that it was really what he wanted. That there were no debt collectors after him this time. After a smile cracked his serious face, he confirmed there wasn't. So I agreed, but on one condition. He told me what he was. He gave me a toothy grin, eyes glinting with a sharp mischievousness. A wyvern, he said. Well, fuck. Thank you for listening to episode 19 of The Antique Shop. Episode 20 will be released in a few weeks' time. So congratulations to that one listener who added me on Twitter, theorising that Finn was a dragon. Uh, I really wanted to tell you at the time that you were uh, right, but also didn't want to spoil it for anyone who hadn't noticed. The artwork for the antique shop um, is full of meaning. Not all of the items, obviously, but there are deliberate things in there that are connected to the content of the show. So just briefly, in, in our world kind of terms, a wyvern is a distinct creature from a dragon in the UK, at least I think in other countries it's a bit of a debate. Um, so the difference in the UK or in our folklore is that uh, wyverns have less limbs than a dragon. So a dragon usually has four, whereas a wyvern it only has two. Obviously that's the folklore of our world, and the lore of the antique shop is a wee bit different. I take a lot of creative license with things from the real world, as you all probably know. So yes, congratulations to that one listener who was eagle-eyed enough to notice the artwork and the content, and yes, you were pretty much right. Congratulations. So the second announcement is kind of hard for me to to say to be honest with you but so as you all know we are coming up for episode 20 and I usually take a break on even numbered episodes so I took a break after episode 10 and I will be taking a break after episode 20. I do not have a return date for you because I haven't planned one out yet. So the kind of short story is as you all no, because I've mentioned it so many times before, that I am um, coming to the end of my PhD. And by end, I mean 
weeks from the end. <laughs> um, I'm due to stop in the beginning of October, so I'm due to submit my thesis at the beginning of October. So I am on track for that. But that obviously means that I will be unemployed uh, at the beginning of October because I have not yet found a job. I've applied for a few but have been unsuccessful so far. Yeah, my life is a bit... Oh God, this is so depressing. I don't, I don't want, well, obviously because of the current situation in the world, the, the word I will not mention on this podcast, um, obviously things are a little bit, a wee bit bad at the minute. Obviously I haven't found a job and I will be unemployed in a few weeks, <laughs> no, in a less, uh, just over a month's time from now anyway. Um, so I've decided to take a longer break from the podcast. The other kind of issue that I have been finding the last few months is that I'm getting a bit fatigued with the process. I love writing, but I think when you start writing on a schedule, it kind of and you have to do it. It kind of takes the fun out of it a bit for me anyway. I think I did see I definitely did see in the Q&A sessions that I'm very changeable. Um and I think it's just one of those things that I've done this I've done podcasting in various forms for the last like year and a half, year, almost two years now. I just need a bit of a break to rejuvenate my creative side. And also, I think it is taking a bit of a hit as well with the kind of stress of trying to submit my PhD and trying to find a job and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just <laughs> I have fallen victim to the um, the current state of the world in one form or another um so yes I am very sorry for listeners because I I know that obviously with the way the world is just now podcasts have seen an increase in listening and stuff like that so I am really sorry for my regular listeners I am so grateful that you have been with me for the last 18 months and I will be back at some point I promise I will I don't because I've not finished the antique shop yet I have this I'm not ending it in episode 20 I have a feeling you're going to hate me after episode 20, but hey, yeah, I, I do definitely have more stories to tell for this podcast. It is definitely not over. It's not finished. I just need a bit of a break from it to kind of just get my life sorted out. And yeah, essentially, I just need to get my life sorted out and then I can start doing fun things again. And as I said, just kind of finding the joy in this rather than it it's it's become a bit of a chore to be quite honest with you doing it sometimes like having to record it having to write it and I don't want it to be a chore and I don't want it to sound like it's a chore either I was finding I was feeling that my writing was going a bit downhill the last few months and that's just because I was I was not wanting to do it <laughs> so yeah as I said I love you I love writing I absolutely love it I've done it for so long but I think I just need a bit of time away from it I think it's it's healthy so yes, episode 20 will be the last episode in this block and it will be the last episode probably this year. I'm I'm looking at the beginning of next year, but I'm not going to promise anything. So yes, I, I am sorry. <laughs> I, I genuinely am. I know how... I'm one of those podcasts that I've got a very modest but very loyal band of listeners. Um, so like a certain amount of you always listen every Thursday when it, it's released because I can see the little spike in my stats graph. It's really sweet. Uh, only I would think that numbers on a graph were sweet. That's that's great. So yeah, the, the the short of it is that episode 20 will be the last episode of the Antique Shop for a while. It is not the finale. It'll just be for a while. So I will be going on hiatus. I will still be available to message, to whatever. And if you do feel like donating 
on coffee that would be even better because as I said I'll be unemployed in a few weeks time so please please send me money (laughs) um no I'm joking but yeah please please do keep supporting the podcast uh, because it does really mean the world and it will really help me get back on track once everything else in my life is sorted so yes, that's my unfortunately my I don't I don't want to depress I don't want to bum anybody out because it's not all bad but unfortunately as I said the way the world is at the minute and I'm just very unlucky with the timing of my PhD and the fact that I'm coming to the end of it in the middle of a pandemic so <laughs> that's that's my luck. I hope everybody's well though. I don't think I've ever said that. I wanted this podcast to be an escape. Like I didn't want anything from the start to the end of the of my rambling credits. I didn't want anything to mention what was going on in the world because I want this, I wanted this to be a wee Narnia cupboard that you could just cupboard wardrobe. I wanted this to be a, a Narnia wardrobe that you could just go into and escape for twenty to thirty minutes. But unfortunately, behind the scenes, yeah, my my life has been uh, my life is going to be a victim of the pandemic. So yeah, I'm a bit stressed out at the minute (laughs) but hey aren't we all um so yeah thank you so much for listening to everything jesus christ (laughs) thank you so much for listening all the way to the end and i hope you tune in next time